Welcome and thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. Lupus is a long-term autoimmune disease that can cause inflammation and pain in any part of someone's body. Those with lupus see their immune system attack healthy tissue. Here to talk to us about lupus, symptoms, diagnosis, treatments, and research is Dr. Brian Sutton. He is professor of cell physiology and molecular biophysics in the School of Medicine. He brought along two members of his lab, MD-PhD student, Joanna Villarreal, and PhD student, Joy McCord, to talk to us about lupus. Welcome to our podcast. Dr. Sutton, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do at the Health Sciences Center? Sure. I'm Brian Sutton. I'm a professor in the Department of Cell Physiology and Molecular Biophysics at the Health Science Center. I've been here for about 11 years, and I was initially hired to work on membrane protein structure. And in doing that, we typically, my lab will pick a project, purify a a membrane protein, or in our case, an enzyme, and we'll crystallize it and look at the 3D structure of that particular enzyme to try to figure out how it works. And in the case of our lupus project, we're trying to understand the 3D structure of this of this particular enzyme, DNAs1L3, to use it for therapy. So we'll go into that a little later about why this particular enzyme is important in uh, lupus therapy. But um, our main project right now is to um, examine how this enzyme works in three dimensions and to try to uh, use it as a therapy for lupus patients. And so I've also brought two of my students who are actually doing the work on this project. So I've brought Joanna Villarreal. She's an MD-PhD student at the Health Science Center, and uh, Joey McCord is a PhD student in my lab, and they're both working on the lupus project. Joanna, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Joanna Villarreal. I'm an MD-PhD student. I'm currently in my second year of PhD in Dr. Sutton's lab, and I've also finished my first two years of medical school, so after I'm done with my PhD portion of this program, I will go back and finish medical school. Joey? Hey, how's it going? I'm a PhD student, and uh, I actually come from an engineering background, study biophysics with Dr. Sun, and I've been on this project for several years now. I started at Texas Tech, actually, too, during my undergrad. Well, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. So, who can tell me, what is lupus? Lupus is an autoimmune disease, and so like other autoimmune diseases, it's basically your immune system is overreacting to your own self tissues, you know, where it normally would have these like defensive mechanisms against like foreign, like let's say viruses or bacteria or just generally anything that you're trying to get rid of in the body, your body is actually reacting that way to yourself. And that can be pretty problematic because, I mean, in that case, you start to have some pretty bad damage to your own tissues, your own organs, that kind of stuff. And so, Lupus creates this overreaction to your own double-stranded DNA. And so you have a lot of antibodies that are 
kind of creating these inflammation processes because it's kind of seeing your own DNA within your own system and it's trying to attack that and your kidneys or your heart or your liver can be affected. And unfortunately, there's no current cure right now, but it's something that can be treated. And so we're hoping to kind of address that a little bit more and create new treatments. And so there's multiple causes for lupus. And Joey, could you tell us about the DNA1L3? Yeah. So like Dr. Sutton said, there's several causes. It can have a genetic basis, actually, but environmental factors can definitely play a role. One of those genetic bases for this could be a single nucleotide polymorphism or just a, a single mutation in this gene called DNAs103. And this causes a form of lupus that is not gender specific. It presents very early in children, really. So it's a pediatric form of lupus. And it's characterized by a high incidence of lupus nephritis, which is a very serious result of having like these lupus symptoms. And so DNAs103 is actually where we started approaching the problem from because it's good to have a sort of system that you have like a specific known cause for how this, this causes the disease because then you can start to interrogate why does this cause this disease in an easier way. It makes the, the problem solving a little bit easier. And so that's where we started on this problem from DNAs103. What are the symptoms and how is it diagnosed? So lupus is a little tricky because it can have a big range of different symptoms. There's usually like the big markers that people typically look at. And if they see one of these characteristic symptoms, then they'll be like, oh, lupus. So one of those is they call it butterfly rash. And so it's kind of spread over your cheeks and over your nose. That's a big one that can definitely point to lupus. But there's also some some symptoms that can be like fatigue or or fever or photosensitivity. So there's a wide range of symptoms and it kind of varies from person to person. It also depends on how much progression there is in the disease. If you have it for a longer time, you can start to have more severe symptoms. But typically if you see these kind of antibodies, so they'll do like a blood test and they can see some of these autoantibodies in your system and that can kind of be a big marker towards lupus. So anti-double-stranded DNA is a big one. How is it treated? So a big medication that is used for lupus is hydroxychloroquine. And this kind of helps dampen your immune system so that it's not as reactive to nucleic acids. However, there's a lot of reasons why hydroxychloroquine in the long term can also cause some pretty major side effects, which is why we were hoping to create a treatment that would be a little bit better and not have as many of those side effects. So that's where our lab comes in. We're working with Dr. Peter Kyle in the biology department at Texas Tech University, who first turned us on to this project. And our goal in this research has been to produce the enzyme that these children are missing that they have a, a malfunctioning enzyme in their system. And as Joanne and Joey described, this enzyme is no longer able to digest DNA that happens to be floating around in your serum. So our goal is to produce this enzyme and prepare it in such a way that they can use it as a therapy. So they can introduce the enzyme through an IV 
and basically restore the activity of this particular enzyme um, to, to these patients. And doing that, we hope to prevent some of the symptoms of lupus and control the disease a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's been a been a big experience along the way. And when it comes down to our day-to-day work, a lot of what we do is we actually start targeting the enzyme as far as like engineering, and we start modifying it in order to give it better functionality too as a treatment. So a lot of our day-to-day work is actually coming up with this therapy is actually what you'd think of as like designing an enzyme to be more functional as a therapy, which is pretty cool. You mentioned children, but... One would assume that it's just women who develop lupus. How does one develop lupus, and is it hereditary? So the first myth is that lupus is only diagnosed in women. There's a lot of men that are also diagnosed. Like Joey was saying, there's this one specific mutation that is not gender-specific. I I wanted to just say that part because I think a lot of people tend to think that. It also varies as far as like what type of lupus because there can be different types. There's like the systemic lupus erythematosus, which is the one we focus on a little bit more. Uh, There's also like discoid lupus and just a couple of other types. Also, there's been a lot of studies that kind of show that there might be both a genetic and environmental factor as far as like how it develops. And we're just not entirely sure how that develops. However, that is something that hopefully we can look more into and and with more time and more research, we can kind of zone in a little bit more on why, why it develops. Yeah. And I wanted to say, actually, one of the big questions that people notice first whenever they start looking at who gets lupus, like obviously, like you said, women are who we think of as first getting lupus, but it's actually women of color are are particularly predisposed to lupus. And the reasons for this aren't actually very well known yet, because it also seems to be related to the environment that you're coming from. There's been some research that shows that women from from low income housing areas, for example, are particularly more predisposed to getting lupus symptoms. Then there's also what we work on, which is clearly a genetic cause for the disease. So I think there's there's a lot of different ways, and it's clearly a socially important disease because it, it obviously targets people who are already very much targeted in society. So it's 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 a problem. But there's also clearly the genetic basis, and I think a lot of people would like to discount lupus in men because, you know, that's just not who you commonly think of as having lupus, but it's a, it's a possibility still. With summer around the corner and with us just living in an area where there's so much sunshine, how can someone with lupus protect themselves from flare-ups or other symptoms? So, like you said, summer is around the corner and everyone should protect themselves against the sun, but especially patients with lupus. Some of these patients notice that the sun can be a big trigger for them and cause a flare-up. And so in that case, they would want to, you know, cover up, make sure you don't have like really strong sun exposure and sunscreen, of course. And yeah, so it's just kind of depends on the patient because some people see this as a trigger and some people don't have this as, as strong of a trigger. But definitely sunblock is is very important. And also, if you're going to go outside, because everyone loves to, like, you know, be out in nature, uh, it's good to, like, limit the amount of time that you spend out there and always make sure that you, you know, are bringing your medication with you if you're going out to, like, hike or something like that. Like, you don't want to, like, forget days of your medication because you are particularly predisposed towards a flare-up at this this time of year. Are there other things that would 
cause flare-ups or trigger flare-ups? So it is very, it's interesting, like lupus is very dependent on the patient. Some patients have it more severe than others. And so maybe like some people might find like just very stressful events might even cause a flare-up for some patients. So it's important that they kind of, you know, be checking with their doctor and, and kind of seeing what their what their triggers might be and just kind of keeping everything in check and being really attuned to your body. One big thing that a lot of patients talk about is the foods that they eat, actually. A lot of people have noticed like a relationship between the two. And it, it's like you said, very person-specific. So you'll hear like totally different foods and there's a lot of research exploring that too. So do people with lupus, are they at higher risk of developing other illnesses? There is some research as far as people with autoimmune diseases. If you do have an autoimmune disease, you're at a higher risk of developing another autoimmune disease. That's why it is important to kind of be checking in and having your your checkups with your doctor and making sure that everything's okay. Yeah, a lot of times you'll see like rheumatoid arthritis associated with lupus and, you know, psoriatic arthritis and hoves is, is also really heavily associated with lupus. Hypocomptomentemia, uticarial vasculitis. Oh, wow. Syndrome. Very difficult. But there's a lot of different autoimmune disorders that will present with lupus as well. So, How can we support friends or loved ones with lupus? And how can we support research like y'all are doing? I think if you have a, a friend or a family member who has lupus, it's important for everybody to really understand their limitations and to understand what therapies they're on so they can help them and remind them to take their medication when they need to take their medication. Because with the appropriate medication, I mean, lupus is certainly a controllable disease. And as we've been talking over the course of this podcast, we hope to improve that even more, at least for the lupus patients that have a DNA1L3 deficiency. We hope to be able to provide another therapy. There's also, I think this is a good opportunity to plug for the Lubbock Lupus Support Group. In a lot of different cities, there's actually a support group that specifically focuses on lupus patients because there's a lot of things that they can help each other with. One of the big things is talking to each other about, you know, where do, where do you go for this? Where do you go for that? Like the price of drugs, doing activities that are like lupus friendly together, like and just honestly having somebody talk about like these symptoms because it can it can be a pretty big burden. But yeah, I think also too just listening to people. Like one of my one of my best friends has lupus and uh, she has constant problems just going to the the doctor and talking to people about like these symptoms. I think for a whole year she she was undiagnosed with lupus and she was going through these symptoms. It was awful. Yeah, I think just listening honestly is probably a big thing people can do. So, and there are local Lubbock. Uh, lupus groups that accept donations for for research. Part of Dr. Kyle's research in biology at TTU is supported by the Lubbock lupus group. And my lab, and as well as Dr. Kyle's lab, is funded by the Lupus Research Alliance, which is a, a very large alliance of several lupus research organizations that provide grant money to researchers to do this sort of research. So I think one really good thing to do is to support the Lupus Research Alliance in in their mission to support research. I guess I also just wanted to say that I, I think some important ways to support is to 
learn more about the disease and just kind of understand those who may have lupus around us, you know, and like any chronic illness, it can be a bit isolating to feel like you're kind of alone. And so it is important for these people to have support systems and whether that be like Joey mentioned, some local support groups here with a lot of other people who are experiencing the same thing or also family, friends, just listening and being there for them. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I think that support group we mentioned too is they're active on Facebook and I think they have an Instagram. So if, if you were interested in that, if anyone listening is interested in that, I think you can find them, especially on Facebook is how we, we've seen them before. So, so one thing I've uh, been amazed with is how the projects in my lab have developed over the last several years. Over the last several years, my lab has been really becoming more of a therapeutic lab. So we work on therapeutics like this this DNA SNL3 project that Joey and Joanna are working on. But I also have other projects that are related to muscular dystrophy. So we have two projects, uh, two additional projects that focus on the treatment and understanding of muscular dystrophy in humans. And so it's just kind of neat how we're using protein engineering and understanding protein structure and function to try to deconvolute how these diseases work and how we can use that information for therapeutics in people. Well, thank you very much for coming on our podcast and talking to us about lupus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss the next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tira Castillo, Susana Cisneros, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>